Let's go here. Another episode of Gons on the Go. All the sports talk that you need. Those great nuggets you can talk to about with your friends. That little bits of stats all come from this podcast. 30 minutes or less sports talk that you need for the week. But we got so many shout outs off the top of this episode. First, some love over to the Integrative Sleep Center in Boston Spa. If you're snoring, maybe your wife's snoring, somebody in your family is just making the rooms rattle with their snore, it can stop at the Integrative Sleep Center in Boston Spa. My guy Levesque has been using them for years. For more information on Dr. Dreer and his staff, check out some past Godzilla Media YouTube videos. Levesque and Godzilla information is on the bottom. Check out those videos or head to GonzillaMedia.com. Thank you to Dr. Dreer and his colleagues. Limo bus to the New York Mets game against the Phillies. A memorable night to say the least. Would have been nice if the Mets had won. Highly recommend City Field. So thank you to Dr. Dreer. What an awesome guy. Great crew there. Thank you for that trip. A lot of fun at that spot. Also want to give love to our friends over at Mohawk Honda. Mohawk Honda, the fall, they know you're looking for the new ride. You're looking for the new vehicle. How do you make it happen? Well, you need the inventory. Mohawk Honda has that for you. Across upstate New York, so many people are struggling just to find the rides that people want. Mohawk Honda doesn't have that struggle. Take the drive to Glenville, New York. It's not too far away from where I'm at, by the way. Say what's up to me. We'll go grab lunch. We'll talk to my guy right in there, Greg Johnson. Maybe the VIP man. Maybe Hot Sauce, Cam McKenna. All different people across. Shout out to Cam McKenna. Just got married, by the way. So many great salespeople. Lindsey Herndon, the Herndon family, and more wants to help you. Get into a new vehicle. I've got the pilot. I work with them. So easy. People that you can trust. Do the same for yourself. Isn't it worth the drive to go work with people that you know are not going to give you an outrageous price for a vehicle? You want the price that fits your budget, your lifestyle, and more. It happens in Mohawk Honda. Don't forget about the Kelly Blue Book offer going on right now where you can walk off the lot with money in your pocket and find the vehicle that you want. Whether it's pre-owned, whether it's new, they will help you find it. Check them out on social media as well for all the new additions to the inventory coming in. Mohawk Honda, where they always go out of their way to please you. And our friends over at Johnstone Supply in Troy. The weather's changing. You can feel the weather getting a little bit colder wherever you're listening to this podcast. And now for the second time, I can feel like why people think this read comes off as sensual during this. Ooh, are things starting to heat up at your house? See, I don't even want to hear that. Johnstone Supply in Troy wants to help you update your furnace, update your filters, whatever your house may need to prepare for the fall, they're going to help you do it. Check them out on 6th Avenue in Troy. Stop in and say hello to my guy Kev or James or Tom who has been texting me about this stuff. (laughs) The feedback continues to be interesting to say the least. My guy George has got a new knee. Look, all these guys want to help you continue to find those great things, whether you've got kids, family members, new homeowner, whatever it may be. Make sure your home is prepared for this winter and this fall. You can have it happen by upgrading your furnace, your heating system, your air filters, and more. And Johnstone Supply in Troy is the place for you. Check them out online, Facebook, give them a call, all those great things. Johnstone Supply in Troy, proud sponsor of so many Godzilla Media podcasts. Don't worry, we talk fantasy. After dark, this edition, more information. Johnstone Supply and Troy is going to have some fun stuff come up in this podcast. So check that one out as well. Now, with all the shout outs done, let's get into this week's episode of Goss on the Go. Baseball fans, this is supposed to be your favorite time of the year. Late September, getting ready for October, the playoff push. Who's going to be in? Who's going to be out? Who are going to be those final teams compete? The playoff chase kind of stinks. Think about it. 
Most of the divisions are wrapped up. Let's go across the divisions real quick. The Rays are going to win the AL East. In the AL Central, the Chicago White Sox. The AL West, the Houston Astros. The Braves are slowly pulling away from the Philadelphia Phillies. The Central's the Brewers. The West is the Giants. The Dodgers are still going to fight with the Giants, but really the divisions are already set. And either the Giants or the Dodgers are going to get the one-game wild card locked up in the NL. And the way the St. Louis Cardinals are playing right now, who could stop them? So they look to be locked in at that spot. So it all comes down to the American League wild card chase. Boston, New York, Toronto, Seattle, and Oakland. How long do I have to tell you guys you're done? Talent's not there. Billy Bean's rumored to go to the Mets. Enough of those guys. Not going to happen. You want the Blue Jays, the Red Sox, and the Yankees in the mix, and they're going to battle against each other. Playoff game after playoff game. You're sick and tired of me saying it on every single podcast, but here we go. It's almost here. And now the New York Yankees got something recently that could prove to be the difference. You've seen over the past few seasons the New York Yankees have had those call-ups that have impacted the team so much, whether it's Judge or Sanchez or Clint Frazier, these young stunts who come up and change the feel in the dugout. The atmosphere in the crowds, the energy, the underdog you root for. Who would have ever thought it was Luis Severino? Sevy the savior for the Yankees season? It's possible that Sevy's been the spark the Yankees have been waiting for the entire 2021 regular season. I understand the hesitation from Yankee fans. You're banking on a guy who hasn't pitched since 2019, who was supposed to be the chosen one, the next big thing. It's a mix between Drew McIntyre and Brock Lesnar. Wrestling fans will get that reference. That Sevy was supposed to be the next great ace for the Yankees. The young arm that was battling for a Cy Young Award just a few seasons ago, but before that, Sevy was supposed to be the one that takes the next step. He got sent down to the minors less than five years ago when he was supposed to be the arm in the rotation. The expectations for these Severino have never really been matched for what Yankee fans and management hoped it would have been. They banked on this guy being the future, but unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to view it, the Yankees had to go to free agency and bring in arms like Corey Kluber's and Garrett Coles and others to make it happen. But you want a guy like Sevy on the mound. I know his old attitude from Yankee fans, from broadcasters, from media members that say that Luis Severino get too excited for the playoff games be all over the plate, put some pitches over the plate that were too easy to hit, get shelled. I remember the A's game that stood out to me a little bit that he pitched in. But what would you want the Yankees to have happen here in the final 10, 9, 8, 7, as we count this down, depending on when you're listening, games left in this season? You've seen this team for 150-plus games. You've seen the superstar step up or let you down. Don't you need somebody else to be that difference in these games? You know what the Toronto Blue Jays are bringing to the table. The young bats, the excitement, the underdog feel. You know what Boston's bringing to the table. The biggest overachiever in baseball this season. And we already know what those rivalry games are going to feel like. Both stands are going to be packed. People cannot wait to root on their teams. So what makes the Yankees different? What makes this New York Yankee 2021 team stand out? That was an easy question for most of my childhood. They had the best players. They had the most competitive guys. You had Derek Jeter in the core of players that had gone through the system. It was easy to figure out why the Yankees were going to get it done. Because they were playoff tested. I can't tell you why now. The Boston Red Sox have had more success over the last decade. The Toronto Blue Jays have sniffed but not gone to a World Series. And they've been aggressive in times in their franchise over the last decade plus. Making trades for David Price and Troy Tulowitzki and others. The Yankees have been aggressive. 
The Yankees have gotten close to a World Series. So now the separation between Luis Severino. Now he's going to go out like Garrett Cole and try to pitch seven, eight, nine shutout innings in the postseason. That might be too high to ask from him. But if you want a little boost in the crowd, you want somebody to have everybody on his back and Severino say, you know what? I'm not the same pitcher I was two, three, four, five years ago where the big moments might have been too big for me. These are the moments I need to have now. I've been away from baseball. I've been on the mound. And at times, Semperino might take the motivation and say, you guys didn't believe in me anymore. I saw what you did for this rotation. You brought other people in. Sevi the savior. Can he do it? I'm rooting for him. The Jays and Red Sox have to go against the pitcher they haven't seen in two plus years. How different are some of those bats in the lineups from those teams before? Yankee fan, you've been waiting all season to find that spark, that player for the fans to root for to get behind and change the energy of a game. Here he is, Luis Severino. Now, how much will Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman decide to actually put him on the mound? That decision might be the decision that either ends or extends the 2021 Yankees. Whoever wants to go by now is injured. Cam Newton's not going to be signed by the Houston Texans. The Texans are now down to Davis Mills as their starting quarterback Thursday night against the Carolina Panthers, the undefeated Carolina Panthers. Don't you think, like, isn't now the time to bring back Deshaun Watson? Shouldn't he play for the team? You know, because they don't have anybody else, and he's a player who led the NFL in passing categories last season. So why is he not coming back? Oh, and by the way, they're paying him. Deshaun Watson's going to get paid $10.8 million bucks to sit on his couch and watch the game. Deshaun Watson had said he'd never play for the Houston Texans again. He demanded a trade. And now Houston's not playing him because... Why? Because Deshaun Watson said so? Like Stone Cold Steve Austin's second wrestling reference in this podcast. Let's go. So Watson said he'd never play for the Texans again. And the Texans said, cool. We agree. That doesn't seem like the right way to do it. Are the Texans concerned that he's going to get injured and hurt the stock in which they could get back in return for a trade for Watson? So they've already said, we don't feel like winning games this season. We're not even going to suit him up. Okay, it's a, it's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off. Is Watson so dug in on this that he's willing to take the fines? Well, hang on a second. There's no fines because we just told you the Texans are going to pay him $10.8 million. That doesn't make sense either. Is the Houston Texans strategy for this to do what we see a lot of college football teams and college football programs in general do, like self-imposed ban? Hey, here's our idea. If we just kind of sort of like suspend Watson on our own, maybe Goodell and everybody in the NFL will forget it actually happened. He'll never get suspended. I don't even know where that strategy is coming from or who thinks that's a good idea, but that also makes zero sense here. We're not going to forget that stuff happened with Deshaun Watson. At last check, it was up to 22 different cases involving Watson. So the NFL hasn't stepped in on one? Or like five? Or ten? That's the NFL waiting on for suspension. I've used this example before. Zeke Elliott got six games for never getting charged with a crime. So Deshaun Watson might get charged with a crime and get a whole season. None of this makes sense. But the bigger story about it is that Deshaun Watson said he never wanted to play for Houston again, and he's getting his way. He's getting paid. He's not hurting his stock. He may have hurt his reputation, but that came off the field. But he's getting exactly what he wants. He's keeping a career year on his clock. And he said it that way because, remember, that was the 
wording that was used when J.J. Watt was walking off the field the last time Watt was a Houston Texan and said, I'm sorry I wasted a year of your career for how bad Houston was that season. So there you go. Deshaun Watson doesn't have to go to work, but he gets paid. And we've all kind of just forgot about it or have to Google it to figure out what the hell's going on in Houston. And the same can be said for Ben Simmons in Philadelphia. What has Ben Simmons accomplished? Ben Simmons, how many times have I done a podcast that you've probably heard before about how Ben Simmons is, in my opinion, the most overrated athlete in professional sports right now? The hype around him, the next LeBron, the number one pick, couldn't get an LSD to the tournament. When the games mattered the most, he didn't show up, but somehow his agent, Rich Paul, said it was Philadelphia's fault that they criticized him too much. Ben Simmons' stats are laughable when you go back and look. I actually thought I got it wrong when I did that podcast when we went through him because I could not believe how often he actually didn't want to have anything to do with the basketball in his hand when it mattered the most. But because Philadelphia was mean to him and the fans didn't appreciate him and he doesn't have to deserve this, Rich Paul said, good, we're out. See you, peace, bye. And now he has said he's not showing up. Trade me. Rumors Toronto. Pascal Siakam might be coming to Philly, and they'll say thank you. We'll put Siakam and Embiid down low and see if we can go win a championship. So that's what's changed in sports. That way back, and this might go back to LeBron in 2010, when it was LeBron, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Posh. They said, oh, we're going to team up together and do our thing. Antonio Brown decided to hold out the whole thing with the Raiders. Le'Veon Bell. We can run through some of these moments in sports where athletes just said, we're not showing up, we're demanding a trade, or else we're not going to play. Jimmy Butler and more. And now here in the fall of 2021, it happens so often, we're just shrugging our shoulders and thinking, all right, I feel like we've done this before. Deshaun Watson's not going to be on the field this season the way it's pacing. Ben Simmons is not going to be a Philadelphia 76er when we're taping this. All because they didn't want to be there. And they're going to get their way. Are they pouting babies? Wah, I don't want to go play for this team anymore. Wah, okay, we'll pay you. Don't get too upset. I got a kid right now. My God, I feel like sometimes I'm talking about BB Rex when I'm doing this. Or the incredibly smart business guys who think, what helps my future the most? The teams don't have the powers they think they did in the past. We as the athletes do. Because we know our success in the field can dictate wins, losses, revenue, and more. Watson and Simmons. Maybe the next time we tape this in 2022, it'll be two different names. In 2023, it'll be different names. Selfish, smart, narcissistic, new age. All those terms may fit these guys. They're able to pull it off. Their teammates aren't commenting on it right now besides Joel Embiid. But this is what we have to understand now. Athletes can come and go as they please. They've learned they have that ability. Frustrating, yes. Smart? We're going to find out soon. If you haven't had the opportunity yet, check out our guy, Tyler Gregory, our new Godzilla Media online writer. He is covering golf for us. Shout out to Tyler. Here's what I'm going to do for him. We're going to feature the Ties Takes logo on our visual side. So there you go. Ties Takes right there. Check out his stuff. He's writing for us on Godzilla Media. And Tyler's covering the Ryder Cup this upcoming week. And the more and more I think about the Ryder Cup, it's the best golf event, period. The Ryder Cup's the best one of them all. We can go through the majors, the Masters, the U.S. Open, the Open, a.k.a. the British Open, and the PGA. 
And the major championships are obviously put up on a pedestal in comparison to other events because of what we just said, the majors, the glory, all that stuff behind it. But isn't the Ryder Cup with the excitement of Team USA versus Team Europe better? When guys are showing off personality, when you can see them actually care about each shot for shot, when it's truly team versus team and country versus country, I know Europe's not a country, but you get my point. Seeing golf played like that makes me wonder, is there any other events they could pull off like this? Could we actually just see golfers do a captain and crew one time? Would that even be entertaining? Could we see more holes with more fans going crazy? Baseball gets its heat constantly of not attracting the younger audience. Oh, the games are too long. Well, college games are four hours. Ignore that. That's That take doesn't make sense. Some sports just get these knocks that they can't attract the younger audience. Maybe golf can do it here with the Ryder Cup. If things work in the Ryder Cup, all the things I just mentioned, the personality, the excitement, the entertainment, caring about the game and more, and you see the numbers, you see the success, we'll see how it does on social media. Wouldn't a sport look at that and wonder, hey, that worked. Why can't we do that all the time? That's one of the best boosts of social media, seeing a new audience and following what they want to have you happen. It does not have to be a true democracy where Twitter decides exactly what goes on constantly, but it's a good barometer to find out your audience. Or maybe golf just says, you know what, that's not our audience. We want the old white male in his 70s. That's our thing, and he's not tweeting out his hot takes. I hope golf looks at the Ryder Cup this weekend and says, you know what, we can balance something off of this. We can take some of our stuff from this and make it happen. I'm now understood that the Ryder Cup is the best event in golf. The majors are great, but some of the crowds are subdued. And sometimes on a major Sunday, you might have a leader in, I've admitted this, and sometimes I feel like a bad person doing it. You hope the guy chokes because it's entertaining television. You're not hoping for people to choke in the Ryder Cup. You're hoping for Team USA to hit the big shot. You're hoping for Europe to put to be a spot where, uh-oh, and you're cheering them on, maybe not necessarily for a miss, but for just for Team USA to step up and make it happen. The Ryder Cup's great. Continue to check out our coverage on GonzaLaMedia.com. Tyler Gregory, one of our newest personalities, will have it for you. Allegedly, by the way, we're supposed to be playing in a golf tournament with the Hideaway coming up on October 10th. Levac and I both stink. I don't even know if I ever want to get good at golf because when I get good at golf, then I'm going to hate it even more. It's just a weird spot. But the Ryder Cup's the best. I'll ask my guy Chad and Trout and Mac over at the Hideaway if they believe in my tank. Ryder Cup. The country, the atmosphere, the field, the excitement, the teams. The best golf event is the Ryder Cup. And it happens this week. I was there. Syracuse versus Albany football inside the Carrier Dome. My first time in about two years being back inside the Dome. I was all fired up. I told you all about the preview. Thought I'd be close. Wah, wah. Wah. Could drop my prices right noise in there, but do we really even want to put more effort into talking about the blowout that was Syracuse U Albany? U Albany football. My Central New York fans won't believe me when I say this. Trust me. That's the worst I've ever seen them play in person. And arguably the worst I've seen a U Albany football team play in the past five years. They can't move the football. They were all known about their offense. I give you all the scout report about 2019 under comfort leading FCS and passing touchdowns. They couldn't move the ball in their first game against North Dakota State. Six points. 
Couldn't move the ball against Rhode Island. Battle with both teams going under 20 points. The pick six stands out as a big-time play, but again, defensive touchdown. Offensive line's getting crushed. Undercomfort can't move. Carl Mofor has no room. It was bad. They stunk. And for Syracuse football, Sean Tucker looks great. We're going to talk more about Sean Tucker in a little bit. I feel like it's back-to-back weeks. I've been praising and ripping Sean Tucker. But it's more to that story than this. The two teams... Scratch that game now off their schedule. Look forward to this weekend. Albany, they're on the road. They get Delaware. The Blue Hens. Joe Flacco's alma mater. Conference game? We've told you since August. The tough part for Albany is these opponents. I wish I could tell you, well, they played Syracuse and North Dakota State. That makes them better to take on Delaware because those are two tough FBS and national championship caliber programs. They'll be ready to go against Delaware. Here's the problem with evaluating Albany. I don't know what the hell they are. Are they fatigued? How are they going to play in the second half when you're getting your butts kicked in the last few games? Are they actually just flat out not good? Is the offensive line more of a concern than I realized? Without Jawan Green, the impact player they had before, is the offense not moving as much? The defensive side can only stand up for so long. By the way, the defense has to tackle. You have to do that. Cover's fine. Tackling's a big part of this. UAlbany football might continue to struggle this season. As for Syracuse football, Liberty Friday night Malik Willis, who Mel Kuyper called as the best quarterback prospect in the country this month. Yeah, you could be looking at the number one overall pick in the NFL draft, a Liberty Flame quarterback. But Syracuse fans know this. Those weekday games inside the Carrier Dome is a little bit different. Remember the Clemson Tigers? They got knocked off and the fans stormed the field. West Virginia, when they were ranked in the top 25 a few years ago, Syracuse did that. How many times have you seen a weekday game with Syracuse just play a little different? That could happen. Less than a touchdown favorite for Liberty. I had Liberty in my top 18 in the country. The Flames can play, but something's smelling fishy about that line. Syracuse knows what they have to do. Run the football. Continue their very good offensive line play. Defensively, these standouts in the secondary, their young guys are making some plays. And Dino Babers has an interesting decision to make. Does he slow it down? Does he speed it up? He might actually not have as many talented players as Liberty does. And if you want Malik Willis on the field more than usual, then happens if you run a fast tempo offense. Syracuse, I feel more confident in their matchup against Liberty than I do against UAlbany football's matchup against Delaware. But as exciting as it is for Syracuse football fans right now for potentially them to grab their third win of the season, it's another topic in Central New York that is bothering me that I thought was going to be hushed. But once again, I have to address it here in September. I did it on the LeVac and God show, and if you missed it, I got to do it one more time here for a further extent of it. Hopefully, this is the final time I have to address this this football season. I've done it a few times with LeVac on the LeVac and Goss show. I hinted at it last week on Goss and the Go. Final time I'm doing this, and this is this talk about Syracuse football bringing back the number 44. One more time for perspective here, because I know we have some people listening from outside central New York. The number 44 is the most important single number to any college football program in the country And I don't even know if it's close. Tim Tebow's 15 at Florida. Richardson's wearing it. OJ's 32 at USC. You think that's prestigious with OJ's record? 
go up and down. The only two others that might be in the discussion are Kinnick at Iowa and Pat Tillman at Arizona State, who both fought for our countries and died. You want to put the military service into that discussion? I think it's two different discussions. I'm talking more about the athletic prowess rather than the service those great people gave for our country. So I think those are two different discussions. But Kinnick and Tillman, if you want to have it for the representation of what they did for those respective schools, Iowa and Arizona State, you can put those numbers in that high regard. But 44 with Jim Brown, Ernie Davis, and Floyd Little. Hall of Famers, great players in every way in between. Ernie Davis, the Heisman Trophy winner, of course, before he tragically died so young in his life. But 44 is going to come down for what reason? And Brent X at Syracuse did a great job on the radio side of this. I'm telling you, if you are a young broadcaster, I love doing this on Goss on the Go. It's more so the getting there with Goss stuff, but that is how you do it, man. Wonderful job by him going to the points, laying it out well, going for a polarizing topic in that area that he does his show in. Because Axe has done it for decades plus now, and it's easy to hop on the air and just read a box score about UAlbany or get fans excited about Liberty. But unfortunately, those programs don't hold the weight to have people care that much about what happened in Ohio, Bobcat, Rutgers, Liberty, Games, and UAlbany. Axe has to make people care. That's the side of sports talk radio that makes the good from the great and the people who get to do it for decades and longer. Well done radio segment. I would suggest to check it out. But Brent Axe knows what he's doing. He's going for the engagement. He's influential. He's one of the first guys who was able to get those female women athlete numbers retired. And Axe deserves a ton of credit for that. Hell, you want to go back 20 years, someone argue that Brent Axe is the one who got Coach Paul Pascaloni fired in Syracuse. You still can't get that to go. Is Syracuse football so desperate to be relevant that the last straw, the last carrot to dangle in front of a potential four or five star recruit is to wear number 44 and be the one to bring it down from the rafters and have your name mentioned the same breath as some of those athletes I mentioned earlier? Is that enticing enough? Does it go back to years ago when the rumor was out there that Robert Washington who some people may not even know that name anymore, Charlotte, and I don't even tell you where he ended up next, was going to be the one who wore 44 and it blew up in Syracuse. There's articles, if you go back in 2015, that Syracuse had actually unretired 44, that it actually already had happened. We don't even realize that. And they backpedaled and said, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, I know we said it's unretired, but we didn't mean it was unretired. Huh? That happened. Just type in unretired 44 2015. It happened six years ago. I don't want this to be watered down that... Every time Syracuse might land somebody, that that recruit who was a four or five star, the team goes three and nine. Be like, well, he wore forty four though. It's not worth it. No other school is talking about unretiring numbers to draw in an eighteen year old or rewarding somebody who did well in the community, not to undermine that or did well in the senior season. They got forty four. Don't take that down. If you're going to let every high school prospect or junior or senior, whoever you think earns it or needs to be recruited for this, then just rename exactly what you want to call it. Don't call this Restore 44. Call this Whore Out 44 for the satisfaction that you want. That's not Restore 44. If everyone's getting a shot on it to make themselves feel good and get around, that's called Whoring Out 44. 
And maybe I'm too attached to the number 44. Maybe being a Syracuse fan my entire life, that number means a little bit something different for me because my favorite team of all time are those late 90s Syracuse football teams. Rob Conrad, the final person to wear number 44. I wear 44 jerseys to Syracuse football games. I got to stop wearing jerseys now because I'm a dad and I feel like dads who wear jerseys. I got to be careful. I don't know. I don't know what the rules are with dads and jerseys. I feel like the next jersey you should wear is your son's, but maybe I'll go back to my 44. But I love 44. When I played Pop Warner football, my dad was my head coach. And every son of a head coach at the Get Us Westfield Knights when I played wore 44. That's how much the number meant to every dad and son. Now, I wore 49, pretty close to 44. But that's how much that number meant to everybody. And that enough would probably be a reason why you love the number 44. But for me personally, it goes even deeper than that. I mentioned my dad was my head coach in Pop Warner. But growing up, usually your coaches you have in, I call it Leprechaun League Basketball or Little League, it's your coach is your buddy's dad or your mom or whoever. You know who it is. It's mister instead of coach. But the first true real coach, somebody's parent wasn't the one on the sidelines. For me, my first true coach was Glenn Moore. Glenn Moore wore 44 for Syracuse. Can you imagine being a seven-year-old kid and having Rob Conrad and Donovan McNabb as your favorite players, and all of a sudden you show up to Pop Warner football practice, one of your coach got to wear 44, and your team goes undefeated and wins the championship, and you're a little kid, and your guy in your picture is Glenn Moore? How much that meant to me as a kid? Oh my God, this is unbelievable. I could play for Syracuse one day. And to think about a guy like Coach Moore and how people thought about him differently for the rest of his life because he wore 44. When you go through his obituary and you read about 44 and what it meant to him and how people recognized him for that, he carried that for the rest of his life. And when you read a certain obituary for Coach Moore... And you see mentioned there the Syracuse 44 and everything he did for his family. And then you see 1997 coach for a Pop Warner football team to think he wanted to help out young football players like me. And he wanted to make sure that was in his obituary is some powerful stuff. So look, maybe for me it's different. Maybe I should not be the right barometer to judge whether or not 44 should be unretired. But that's just one story about that number. I don't want to see it watered down because some kid wanted Instagram likes and get the retweets on TikTok and showed off in the locker room. I don't want it to be hoard out. If 44 is going to come back, if 44, the number that means more to this program than any program in college football gets to be worn by an athlete again, it means that the glory days of Syracuse football are back, that this athlete has done something that Syracuse football fans have not seen in decades. And his name needs to be mentioned, not just along with these great football players, but great leaders, great coaches, and more. Pun intended. All right, before we close out this week's episode of Gaz on the Go and give you our picks for college football and the NFL, scheduling note, scheduling note here, next week's Gaz on the Go will be released on Friday. I am heading to Rochester for the AEW show. Cannot wait to enjoy that out in Western New York. See, I was supposed to be with my guys Kyle and Nick at Arthur Ashe Stadium for that show. Things have changed in my life since then. 
I think Nick and Kyle might get to pick up on that. Some of you might text me after the episode and ask exactly what's going on. But I'll just leave that as a nice podcast tease until then. So the AEW show is going to be awesome. Cannot wait to be a part of that. So again, one more time, programming note, Friday is when this week's Goss on the Go will be out. It's probably the only time that's going to happen for a long time. So let's get into our picks for the NFL and college football weekend. For those of you who are keeping track or want to mock me on Twitter and social media and more, two and five so far on NFL picks, college picks, eight and four. So Call these first NFL picks trash or greatness or fade or whatever. Whatever you want to do with these picks. Here we go. NFL picks. Carolina Panthers. I got it at 7.5. I'm seeing it at 8.5. Let's not overthink this. Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator, is really good. Matt Rule is really good. Texas are playing with a third-string quarterback. I know it's Thursday night football. I'll take the Panthers. Give me the Panthers in a Thursday night football game. 8.5. Bucks. Rams. By the way, confidence level. Most confident, second confident, third confident. So going top to the bottom here. Bucks, Rams, 55 and a half. Some might have it at 56. Who cares? The number's over. You're telling me Sean McVay and Bruce Arians aren't going to throw the football like crazy in this game? A 425 one? This one might miss out on red zone because it's going to go so long. So many pass attempts. Give me the over in Buccaneers, Rams in that game. I like those two teams. How about Denver versus New York? The Broncos are a double-digit favorite. The over-under is 41-and-a-half. I know Teddy Bridgewater, my guy, LeVac, explained it to me. Three touchdowns over 300 yards. Zach Wilson stunk. Vic Fangio wants to play boring football. That's what they're going to get in Mile High Stadium. Under 41-and-a-half for Jets-Broncos. You know what? Let's do one more. I'm going to do one more. How about the New York football Giants? Minus two and a half against the Atlanta Falcons. At home, the Falcons are terrible. Matt Ryan should retire. He's a bum. He can't throw anymore. He had a great career. Probably a Hall of Famer. But it's all over in Atlanta. I liked Atlanta last week to cover against the Bucs. They didn't. Now they're dead to me. The Giants. Come on. You got to win this one by a field goal at least, right? Giants. Minus two and a half. So there you go. Panthers. Giants with the points, under for Jets, Broncos, over for Bucks, Rams. I told you I was eight and four in college football, right? Just one more time in case that record ever gets worse. We're going with six games this week. So here's how I'm splitting this up because I know a lot of people don't like what I'm about to say. So I'm doing three this style, three another style. And what is that I'm teasing that people don't like? That's under bets. They're lame, they're stupid, they're dumb. People want to be like Dave Portnoy in the overs club. I, I feel better betting unders. So three under bets to play because I feel confident about all three of these games. Take them or play the points or do these three unders. Okay, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, under 46 and a half. Watch Wisconsin, Penn State. Nobody could score in that game. Notre Dame might be different if they had better quarterback play. Under, noon kickoff, Wisconsin, Notre Dame. Bowling Green, Minnesota, under 51 and a half. The Golden Gophers are a 30-point favorite. Doesn't P.J. Fleck just want to get off the field? Bowling Green stinks. They're terrible, but they like to run the football. Minnesota, run the clock down. Get off the field as fast as possible. Don't get anybody hurt. Bowling Green's terrible. Under 51 and a half. And one other under, Michigan Rutgers. Greg Chiano. That Michigan defense looked really good against Washington. I saw Rutgers battle against Syracuse. Under 49 and a half. Give me that hook, baby. 330 kickoff. 
We're going to find out if Michigan really has good quarterback player. If Rutgers is as good as they're much improved. So three unders. You notice the theme there, all Big Ten teams. Give me the unders in all of those games. I was tempted to take Texas A&M, Arkansas. I'm backing off on that one, though. Here are the three games I like. Oregon, 28.5 against Arizona. Arizona is horrendous. I love betting against Arizona football now. It's my new favorite thing. Oregon's really good. They will not take the Wildcats for granted because they stink and they're terrible. So give me Oregon in that game. How about these two lines that make zero sense? And they don't make sense because these teams aren't matching up with the numbers historically from these matchups. First, Michigan State, Nebraska. You heard last week I loved Michigan State. Outright winners, money line winners over Miami. But the Spartans are only a four and a half point favorite against Nebraska. Why? How about over the last 10 years? Michigan State is a home favorite against the spread. 21 and 33. Stinky line. Historically, it doesn't make sense for Michigan State as a home favorite. I'm taking Nebraska with the points. And how about this stat? Akron, Ohio State. The Zips, the fighting Justin Lattice, are 49.5 point underdogs to Ohio State. Over the course of the last close to 30 years since 1993, 18 of the highest spreads over that 28-year period what are the favorites' records against that spread? 2-16. and 16. Ohio State in 2019 had a monster spread. They didn't cover. History is on the side of the Zips. 49.5. Akron, keep it close. All right, those are my picks. Hopefully you guys enjoy the weekend. Have a great weekend. Again, Friday is next week's Guys on the Go. Until then, talk to you next week.